Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Labor Know Your Rights podcast. I'm your host, Dave. This is the series Minimum Wage, The Myths, Episode 119, The 1099 Economy, brought to you by the National League of Justice and Security Professionals, where the members come first. We are proud members of the Labor Radio Network. We are going through some changes here. We are working on a new studio and are almost done just working out a few problems. If you like this podcast, please follow or subscribe to it so that you get new episodes automatically. And if you have any suggestions, questions, or comments and listen to this on Spotify, you can scroll down and add them to the screen and we will get them. Also, please let your brothers and sister union members know about Labor Know Your Rights. We can also be found at www.labornowyourrights.com. So let's get this going. Even as proportions of unionized Americans has declined over the past three decades, Certain groups of workers have still found representation and raises with labor unions that developed strategies for organizing the most marginalized workers. Workers with no previous platform for unionization, including janitorial workers for low-cost contractors and home care workers for the disabled and elderly, found a voice in innovative campaigns that adopted the old chunky collective bargaining machinery of the 20th century for decidedly postmodern workforces in challenging circumstances that did not allow for traditional industrial organizing. Justice for Janitors 548 has won dozens of contracts with commercial cleaning contractors and organized over 225,000 janitors throughout the United States and Canada in more than a dozen cities including Los Angeles, Denver, Miami, Houston, Boston, Minneapolis, and Washington, D.C. J4J has reunionized the commercial cleaning sector and won better wages, working conditions, hours, and health care for janitors. The fight began in the late 1980s after janitors were hit by a steady decline in wages, benefits, and union job opportunities. In the early 1980s, the average janitor earned more than $7 an hour plus health insurance, but by 1986, wages had dropped to $4, and health care had been removed. The janitorial industry pushed for wages and work conditions and broke unions, replacing largely working-class African-American labor with more easily exploited undocumented immigrants. The Justice for Janitors campaign succeeded because it relentlessly went after building owners and financiers at the top of the real estate industry, the people who truly had power over the janitor, livelihood, not clean, but cleaning companies who were powerless subcontractors. This also exposed an economy that was increasingly using subcontracting and other schemes to separate and isolate workers from the corporations and companies that were in control of their wages, benefits, and overall working conditions. But despite the success of J4J campaigns in many individual cities, U.S. janitors today earn less on average 
than they did in the early 1980s after adjusting for inflation. Most janitors today are still poor and not protected by a union. In 13 of the 24 fastest growing cities, there is no janitor union at all, so the work tends to be minimum wage and unbenefited. Los Angeles Home Care Organizing Workers who historically been a hidden workforce conflated legally and in public mind with homemakers and domestic servants. But in the words of the Economic Policy Institute, home care workers are critical to the U.S. economy. They free the time and attention of other workers. Home care workers care for elderly and disabled people in their homes, allowing their clients to live independently and saving the government enormous amounts of money compared to nursing homes. As the Department of Labor stated in a 2015 ruling that brought home care workers under the protection of the Fair Labor Standards Act, as more individuals receive service at home rather than in nursing homes or other institutions, workers who provide home care services perform increasingly skilled duties. Today, direct care workers are, for the most part, not the elderly sitters that Congress envisioned when it enacted the companionship services exemption in 1974, but are instead professional caregivers. Home care workers provide essential services, yet their pay is lower than almost any other job in health care. The average wage for home care workers nationally was $9.70 an hour in 2010, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. The Economic Policy Institute estimates that the number of home care workers needed in the workforce will double from 1.1 million in 2010 to 2.1 million in 2020, with the total number of Americans in need of long-term care rising 100% from 13 million in 2000 to 27 million in 2050. Despite the critical nature of the work they do, many home care workers fall into an employment law limbo. Like so many workers in the 1099 economy who lack a clear employer to bargain with, the key to unionization for medical reimbursed home care aides is, as the nation wrote, has been using political pressure to change the laws or to win executive orders to tender the state or some public entity the employer for the purpose of bargaining. And that is what SEIU did with home care workers in California and Illinois and then across the country. Similar organizing efforts in other California counties and the growth of home care overall in the years since have brought the whole number of union-represented California home care workers to more than 280,000 and is projected by 2015 to be over 600,000 home care workers who had one union representation. One of the first major victories of this locally-based economic justice movement in the early 1990s it was in Baltimore, where a community labor coalition won the nation's first living wage law. Living wage laws require companies that receive municipal contracts or subsidies to pay their workers fair wages. The basic tenets of the living wage movement are that people who work full-time shouldn't live in poverty, and that taxpayer dollars shouldn't subsidize poverty wage jobs. As Article 23 of the United Nations Universal Declaration of Human Rights states, everyone 
who works has the right to just and favorable remunerations, ensuring for himself and for his family an existence worthy of human dignity. Public contracts for procurement of goods, works, and services alone are worth approximately $9.5 trillion per year. These laws have spread rapidly over the last two decades, typically mandating a wage floor significantly higher than the state and federal minimum wage, enough as a full-time worker can support a family above the federal poverty level. Since the first living wage victory in Baltimore in 1994, the idea has captured the imagination of activists across the country, starting with a few laws passed around the country in the 1990s. By 2008, there were more than 140 jurisdictions with some kind of living wage ordinance, including Boston, San Francisco, and St. Louis, as well as the state of Maryland. As labor unions have dwindled in number and influence, more than 200 non-union worker advocacy groups have been created across the nation, struggling to find new ways to lift wages and improve working conditions. These groups, collectively known as Alt-Labor, have proven that community organizing, labor partnerships, and politics can be good for workers. Established in 1993, the Los Angeles Alliance for a New Economy, Lane, was originally born out of labor leaders' frustration with traditional union strategy, and it has grown into one of the most successful Alt-Labor groups in the country. The group first came to public notice in 1997 when it spearheaded a living wage ordinance for employees of companies with city contracts. Lane targeted contractors who worked on properties that received public money, addressing the issue of insecure employment because of an ever-shifting set of low-bid contractors. Lane won workers' retention ordinances and living wage ordinances for jobs funded by the city. Worker retention ordinances guarantee workers the right to stay on the job when they get a new employer. Living wage ordinances guarantee workers a higher than minimum wage rate and health benefits. Lane persuaded the Los Angeles City Council to enact one of the first living wage laws. Soon after that, Lane also set the bar for community benefit agreements. Local government had often compelled developers to pay their construction workers a living wage but Lane pushed for a change that made government assistance conditional on future tenants paying their employees a living wage, even after the project was completed. Lane enabled many workers to receive a living wage, but had not enabled many to join a union and enjoy the security and benefits that membership brings. In 2014, Lane scored big with its new focus about two years earlier Lane's organizers planned for a $15.37 minimum wage for hotel workers. This is due to so many hotel workers living in poverty. The increased use of temp, freelance, gig, and other forms of using the workforce without making them employees resulted more than 43% of the American workforce was included in this type of work, up 30% in the late 1990s and early 2000s. One of the most inspiring reactions to the gig economy has been the freelancers union founded by Sarah Horowitz 20 years ago in New York City. Soon after landing a job at a Manhattan law firm at the beginning of her career, 
Horowitz was shocked to discover that it planned to treat her not as an employee but as an independent contractor. She and two other lawyers who were also hired as independent contractors formed what they jokingly referred to as the Transient Workers Union with the motto, the union makes us not so weak. Freelancers unions do not bargain with employers like a regular union, but it addresses a gig worker's major issue of affordable group rate health insurance. In 2001, the freelancers launched a new model of group health coverage for independent workers and formed a full health insurance company in 2008. More than 29,000 New York workers are now covered by the plan, which brings in over $100 million in revenue every year and boasts of a 95% re-enrollment rate. The Obama administration was so impressed and awarded them $340 million in low-interest loans to establish cooperatives in New York, New Jersey, and Oregon to provide health coverage to non-traditional workers. The freelancers also count 300,000 members among their ranks nationwide, whether lawyers, software developers, graphic artists, accountants, consultants, nannies, writers, editors, website designers, or sellers on Etsy. The freelancers don't just provide services to their members, they are also active in changing policy. For example, persuading New York City to eliminate unincorporated business tax for independent workers who earn less than $100,000 a year, a move that saves freelancers up to $3,400 annually. Figuring out how to support and empower workers in the new economy is not simple. One growing concept is online reputation and review sites, which use the tools of the internet to help workers choose better employers and to push employers to become better ones. While many rating and review systems like Yelp and Amazon help consumers make better informed purchasing decisions, a few like Glassdoor are beginning to help people make an even more important decision, where to work. Almost half of all job hunters now consult Glassdoor, which encourages workers to post reviews of their employer. The site provides a platform that has been lacking for workers to give anonymous feedback about their employers, and employees have done so by the millions. One more grassroots reputation and reward effort is Turkopticon, which works inside the Mechanical Turk service ran by Amazon.com. It's exciting as crowdsourcing can become crowdworking. Instead of hiring employees or negotiating freelance contracts, anyone can post a job that can be done on a computer such as transcribing an audio recording or writing ad copy to the Mechanical Turk website and instantly pick from a host of willing workers. The requester posts a job known as a hit, a human intelligence task, to Mechanical Turk, naming their price and how quickly they want the hit done. The person taking the job is said to take a hit. Known as tankers, these workers sometimes take jobs for just pennies per task. It is estimated that between 10 million and 150 million in transactions go through Mechanical Turk each year with Amazon pocketing 10% to 20%. There are more than 500,000 Turkers in 190 countries, but these workers have no minimum wage protections, benefits, or security. 
The median hourly wage for tasks performed on Turk is $1.38, and Turkers get paid only if their requester is satisfied with the work they have done. There is no appeal process. Enter Turk Opticon, a small piece of software that helps workers track which employers are worth their effort and which to avoid. Turk Opticon is a browser plugin that gives Turkers a reliable way to check the reputation of requesters. This allows Turkers to look out for each other. Another platform started in 2012 with a different approach called coworkers.org. It allows workers to post petitions directed at their employers or other upstream decision makers to agitate for change in their working conditions. Coworkers describes itself as a global platform for engaging in workplace advocacy. Once someone self-identifies as associated with a workplace, co-workers keep them updated about new campaigns relevant to that workplace. These organizations are good but fall short in the power and reach of traditional unions. In a loose labor market, bad employers still hold the advantage when workers stand up for themselves. The on-demand economy is built on the short-term leasing of human and physical resources, usually online platform. Peers.org was started in 2013 by many of the leading on-demand platforms to help advocate for on-demand economy. Has stepped up into this gray space, providing both services to on-demand companies and a unified political base against unwanted regulation. Peers have three main prompts, growing mainstream and protect and improve workers' lives without generating conflicts with their employers, the online platforms, and to carve out space for these services to thrive, particularly by ensuring that local cities' councils don't regulate them out of business. Peers offer two forms of insurance for sharing the risk in the on-demand economy. Airbnb host and ride-hailing drivers can opt into an insurance program protecting against damage or losses due to unexpected disruption in employment. Pierce Home Sharing Liability Insurance is an inexpensive personal liability plan that covers accommodations shared through any platform. One can opt in for only the months they need it. Pierce's other insurance offering is their keep driving, which provides access to a working car if a ride-hailing driver's car is damaged in an accident. While the keep driving program is available for delivery drivers not employed by a ride-hailing companies like Lyft, Uber, Sidecar, though ride-hailing companies don't allow drivers to use other people's cars, Pierce has also worked out a deal that lets drivers rent cars through the hybrid rental company Breeze. These uprisings and worker-empowering tech platforms of the new economy are encouraging. There has been no home runs that have succeeded in doing the thing that workers need most, lifting their wages to a livable level for the 21st century. Let's talk about the worst cases. On-demand economy consists mostly of jobs that were once full-time and permanent. The excluded economy largely consists of jobs that never had protections or have been systematically stripped of protection. Agricultural workers and domestic workers were never included on the major labor legislations that brought us a defined work week, overtime pay requirements, and so on. Restaurant workers are usually paid a specially designated sub-minimum 
wages and left to make up the difference in tips. Guest workers in the United States on visas are by definition tied to a particular employer and what few rights they have under the law are hard to enforce. Even in the old economy, race, gender, and immigration status was common causes for a lack of formal job protections. Tipped workers are more likely to be female. Most hourly and peace rate agricultural workers, immigrants, and domestic workers are often both female and people of color. They are all excluded from the labor laws meant to protect white males, excluding domestic workers and agricultural workers from both the National and Fair Labor Standards Act was part of a key compromise to secure the votes of Southern Democrats in Congress during the New Deal. Southern Democrats were concerned that these predominantly black workers would gain economic and political power if they were able to unionize or secure higher wages. Please share this podcast with your family and friends. If you like our podcasts, please rate us on iTunes. It helps others find us. If you would like to contact us, we have various ways to do so in our show notes, along with contact information for the National League of Justice and Security Professionals. Thank you for listening.